podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello and welcome to The Analyst at the Ashes. This podcast is in association with IG Trading and Investments. And if you like this podcast, please follow us and subscribe. And you could also post us a review on iTunes. Do you know, Simon, when the 2005 Ashes had finished, I remember talking to Stephen Fry, who of course is a mad cricket fan and he's now president of the MCC and he's been very conspicuous during this Ashes series. And he said, I wish, uh, looking back at 2009, I wish there'd been a defibrillator at every ground during that series because your heart was constantly palpitating. And it's the same with this, isn't it? It, 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 You know, all that build-up, all that hype, and still they're keeping us on tenterhooks until the last moment. And finally, of course, today, England getting over the line, uh, three wickets win to get the Ashes to 2-1 and keep it all alive. I mean... It must, it must have been extraordinarily palpitating uh, where you were as well. Yeah, fantastic days cricket, riveting, engrossing. Yeah, any word you want to use, really, about it that's positive. It was that it was that sort of day at Headingley. And the crowd played its part as well, you know, right from the start. Totally involved in the sort of guttural roars every time England scored a single. Not just when they scored a single, sometimes when they blocked the ball. Because you know, that feeling that you just want someone to stay in. You know, you, you don't want them to play rash shots or whatever. So there was, there was always there's that as well. If someone hit a four, a next ball block, cheer. Yeah, we, we really mean business here. W- wonderful days cricket. Australia played their part. I, I liked your analogy last night. You know, you've sort of got to take them down tooth by tooth. And it, it, it feels like they, you know, you've got to shrug them off. They are so persistent. They, even then they kept on coming. They got rid of Brooke. And suddenly you thought 21 to win, three wickets left. If England get, an, if Australia get another wicket here, then potentially big problems for England. But they managed to get over the line thanks to Chris Wokes, who, who kept such a level head, and Mark Wood, who just played gloriously again. And he's had a great Test match, wonderful game, yeah. wonderful return. Yeah, 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 and 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 such freedom that that he had to express himself there, which I thought think is is great credit to the the, the management, the captain and, and coach, as well as to him himself. Actually, he's just a a free spirit, isn't he? Uh, I, I was annoyed when Harry Brook got out, not just for England's cause but also for my own because I predicted a four wicket win and damn it's gone down to three wickets it's a three wicket win but I'll take any win at this point because it's just it would have been so deflating wouldn't it to see the Australians seize the ashes three nil without almost a, a whimper from England I mean that's unfair to to say that, that there hasn't been any, any substance from England because of course there has but it would have been a real anticlimax, actually, if, if Australia had managed to win today, especially when England had all the kind of going in this test match. They had the weather, even today, batting today, a beautiful sunny day most of the time and uh, lovely conditions. What a great pitch, actually. Always kept the bowlers interested, but the batters could get runs and the ball skated to the boundary. Uh, it just it just kept you engrossed all the time. I, I guess no batsman was ever quite in. You know, we saw one hundred uh, that that amazing assault by Mitchell Marsh. But the the only reason he got to a hundred was because he he played at a runner ball, 
And I think if you tried to play a cautious sort of innings, you were going to get one which was going to get you out in the end. So uh, that, 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 in a way, is a classic production of a test match pitch or any first-class pitch because it gives everybody a chance and the bowlers are always in the game. And obviously, as an ex-bowler, I, I sympathise with that situation. And uh, you know, even towards the end, Australia still had a hope. 171 for six when Johnny Bairstow got out. And at that point, were you nervous? Well, I think I think everyone who was in the ground, who was in it, following England, was, was nervous at that point. Thought, "Oh no, this is not going to happen," because it, it turned around so quickly. Joe Root out just before lunch, then Ben Stokes out soon afterwards, and then Johnny Bairstow out. And, you know, that's the cream of England's middle order uh, knocked over in a short space of time. And I think England. It, it was a strange game. I think it's been, it's been a sort of theme of the series that every time England seemed to be sort of getting past Australia they dragged them back they lose a wicket and this in this case it was it was three wickets and you thought Australia going to win this now 80 to win Harry Brook and, and Chris Wokes uh, together that's a lot to do 80 to win with four wickets left but yeah Brook played magnificently uh, Wokes played magnificently on his he's done it before of course in a victory against Pakistan at Old Trafford so you know he, he's he's got that experience he he know he's He's been there and done it. I think that was perhaps the key point. But I think it, the crowd were urging England on as well. And I thought what was important at that point was that Chris Wokes, with the field up, because they just wanted to bowl at Chris Wokes, that he was able to get a few fours away. And that, that got him going, actually. It got the scoreboard ticking over again. And then Brooke could play and, and Wokes could play. Eventually, they, they tried to bomb Chris Wokes. And he, and he tried a different tactic this time. Rather than just sort of, you know, being a standing target, he moved to the offside and tried to help it into the leg side. Okay, it didn't look particularly pretty uh, for, for the most part, but it was quite effective. And so he, he found a method. He thought about it. He'd, he'd found a method. So that you know that worked. And of course, the other thing that worked was, was dropping Harry Brook down to number five. I said to Harry Brook afterwards, you know, where did that come from? And he said, well, Brendan McCullum just told me that was what was happening. He came to me and said that was what was happening. Ben Stokes in his TV interview said that Moen said to. Brendan McCullum, I want to bat at three, you know, I want to go up there and I want to influence the game. And then it happened like that. Anyway, whatever, you know, whatever happened, it, it worked in a way because Brooke is at this stage in his career, it seems to me, a, a far more natural number five. He just looked so out of place at number three. I didn't, I didn't feel that he believed he should have been there, actually, just the way he played in that first innings. But today it worked for him. I th thought he grew in stature today. Because, A, there was the responsibility when he was sort of running out with losing partners. And also, I, saw, I thought he, he changed his method. And, you know, he wasn't in that sort of period at Lords where, you know, they bombed him with a lot of short balls. He wasn't quite sure of his response. And I think he went from slightly too attacking. But here, he, was, he still employed excellent defence. Uh, when the ball was deserved to be defended, he played resolutely. And then when it was loose, he attacked it. And his so shot selection in the main, until he was out, was really good. You know, even the pull shots he played were mostly to balls which were waist high. And he could direct the shot, keep it down and hit it into a gap. And, and there wasn't the kind of slame sort of wafting wildly at balls over his head or, or trying to kind of tennis smash them over extra cover or something. It was more, until he was out, it was a more controlled and a more 
uh, in a way, a more mature innings, which I, I guess was partly because of the fact that he was, you know, two places down. I didn't feel Moen, even though he did request to bat at number three or offer to bat at number three to have an impact on the game, I didn't really feel he did impact the game. He did protect Brook from having to come in at number three. And I suppose that, in a sense, mm. worked. But he didn't play any shots, really. And I, I thought he would. I thought he would be more, slightly more aggressive. And he seemed a bit, a bit passive. What do England do now with that number three slot? Then do they do they say same again? It's an odd one, isn't it? Yeah, it it is an odd one. Uh, it, it's difficult. Uh, I mean, I I, I guess we will. We'll, it, it, it'll all sort of shake down over the next couple of days. England will come up with some some plan. I I don't want to see Harry Brook at three. I think he's uh, he's too sort of valuable in a way to expend at uh, number three, where you might come in in the first or second over. So uh, I think number five is his right spot at the moment. It's just too much for a young player. He's only 24. He's barely played a handful of tests and sticking him in at number three is, is, is pretty tough. So, yeah, I think number five and England have to find a solution to that number three spot. And I guess also, and we, we can talk about this again a bit, a bit later, I suppose they also have to decide what to do about Johnny Bairstow because he, he had a poor game, really, didn't he? And... Uh, the, <laughs> I guess nine days off, they're not going to sort of suddenly radically call for Ben folks, but there'll be there'll be a lot of pressure in the media to do that. Well, it's, it's watched this space. I'd be surprised if they make a change there. I mean, they are quite stubborn, aren't they? And they, you know, they've they've, they've said Bearstow, but he hasn't had a great time of it behind the stumps, and he hasn't had a great time of it with the bat in the last two Test matches. He did make runs at Edgbaston, you know, back in the side, bristling, you know, played nicely. It hasn't gone his way, and, you, and actually, when he was out today, you thought, "Yeah, it, it's going to go wrong uh, for England." And just on the Brook thing at th- at three, that's gone, hasn't it? I mean, if you, if you if you put a guy in at number three and it lasts one innings, then you're not going to continue with it in in the next Test match or the Test match after that. Okay, you might down the line, you know, eventually when he gets his when and if he gets his game together, and you know, two, three, four years down the line or whatever, you might, you might go up the order. But no, it's not going to happen, is it? He's he's going to be down the order, and they're going they're going to have to find someone to bat at three and. Well, I presume it's going to be uh, Moen. It doesn't doesn't feel particularly secure there, does it? I mean, it's, it's, they've tried it before and it hasn't worked. Cleaned up today. I mean, anyone could be cleaned up, can't they? At, at number three, but it's a it's a problem position, and it's it's been created by the, the injury to uh, Ollie Pope. But you, you sort of have to get get on with it. I mean, they they mixed and matched here. They won the game. Uh, so. I imagine you're going to have something similar in the, in the next game. Uh, Stuart Broad in this test match, well, he, he said today, I hope I didn't have to put my pads on today, uh, this morning. He, well, I, I expect he probably did, but he didn't uh, get out to the middle. I mean, I presume he, he, he's had such a good series. He's got to play, hasn't he? I mean, you, you talked about, uh, you know, he talked about the start of the series, or oh, I don't expect to play every game. But, you know, you can see it. He's got to play at Old Trafford, hasn't he? And I suppose if he plays at Old Trafford and, and England's still in the series, then... You want him to play at the Oval as well. Did you notice, by the way, that, that the Australians, when Johnny Bairstow came into bat today, were completely silent? There was almost as if they were regarding him as the sort of invisible person. They didn't want to wind him up or get him galvanised or res- respond to his slight uh, you know, mild chirp to Steve Smith when he was out yesterday or any of the issues from Lords. And so they just almost dead silence when he was out and no kind of words to him at all. <laughs> you have to praise Pat Cummins hugely because 
He's so dignified, generally, and yet he's so ruthless. He looks like a ruthless assassin with the ball. And yet then he has to sit back and be in the field and try and be passive and try and be composed and try and be calm in the heat of, of battle and make sensible decisions and get the most out of his bowling in an impassioned way and yet completely detach himself from that. This is why it's so difficult to be a captain and a fast bowler. But, you know, he had another great game, as did Mitchell Stark. And I suppose in the end, they will probably have the telling impact on the series. You sort of feel like England have got back to 1-2 now, but... They had to use every tiny bit of help and resource to get there. And I just feel Australia probably got, you know, like Labuschagne and, and Smith, for instance, hardly contributed in this game again. So you sort of feel like Australia have got more in the tank. Well, they were talking afterwards. I mean, it feels like a sort of medieval battle. You know, gather up your dead, gather up your wounded, go, you know, go back to your camps, regroup, um, and then go again in nine days' time. You know, both captains, Ben Stokes and Pat Cummings, are saying, yeah, we're you know, looking forward to the nine-day break. E- extra day, of course, because no fifth day uh, in this test match. I just wonder, you know, where Pat Cummings just... I mean, he's put so much in. It's his fourth consecutive test match and the fourth intense test match as well. That's the point, isn't it, that they played World Test Championship final, the first three here. Perhaps just didn't have quite the impact in the second innings. Well, not, not of course, he didn't He did in the first innings where he took six for 91. 15 overs, one for 77 uh, today. It was, it was Mitchell Stark's day, a, a, another five for. It was Stark who was trying to push Australia over the line. Did they quite have the support? Scott Boland, he's, he's not had a great series, has he? 11 overs for 49 in this innings, like two wickets in the series. Mitch Marsh, only six overs. Todd Murphy didn't really risk him very much, two overs for 13. Uh, you know, there was a lot of focus really on the, on the big two uh, today in, and in this test match. Yeah, and, and I suppose it's the same as, as for Jimmy Anderson, really. They haven't had, well, certainly in the first two tests, the seam bowlers haven't had that much to work with. This test, yeah, better pitch to bowl on with more carry and, and a little bit of movement. But you almost need that extra ingredient, uh, the, the, the kind of the, the bouncer as, a, as, a, as an extra weapon. And both Anderson and, and Boland probably don't have that. Whereas even Broad, and to a lesser extent Wokes, can kind of rustle up a, an awkward short ball. And obviously Wood, Stark and Cummins can. And those four have been the most effective broad, again, taking wickets, just with his passion and his surging to the crease and just getting a bit extra, and his height as well. Don't, uh, don't forget that. So, you know, those bowlers who just put a bit more um, hostility, I suppose, into their, uh, into their deliveries are the ones that have been successful. So where did, uh, where did England win this game and Australia lose it? Well, I, I guess, you know, initially... The uh, Australia's failure to capitalise on Mitchell Marsh's Mitchell Marsh's hundred, uh, so that they're losing their last six wickets were twenty three to largely to Mark Wood. That was a, a key moment. Two hundred and sixty three all out. The the failure of uh, Mitchell of Labuschagne and and Smith in the second innings, so that Australia only managed two hundred and twenty four. I think if England had been chasing three hundred in the final innings, you would have thought it would have been beyond them. 
But because it was just that kind of marginal score and Headingley seems to uh, benefit teams that are not chasing too many runs. I mean, there's been quite a lot of high scores, high scoring run chases at Headingley, successful run chases in the in the recent past. So Australia just needed that those few more runs in both innings. Uh, that, that allowed England to to get over the line in the end. I mean, it, today were there any moments where they missed missed a chance? Not really, actually. Uh, Harry Brook didn't really give a chance. He had one or two tiny bits of luck. Chris Wokes, you know, flapped a few and kind of lobbed it over the short leg fielder. And there was a drop catch right at the end. Uh, Alex Carey chasing to the boundary and probably Scott Bolder should have gone for that. But I think by then the game was was lost. I mean, Australia's catching was was way better than England's overall, uh, and their slip catching generally has been pretty faultless. So uh, they've certainly got the the advantage in that department. But this this game, they probably missed Cameron Green, and also obviously Nathan Lyon as well because they brought Todd Murphy on, but far too late really. Yeah, I no, I agree about that with Lyon. But of course, if if Cameron Green had played, then Mitch Marsh would have come out and. Played that 100 in the first innings. I thought, yeah, 240 for four in the first innings, Australia. England 142 for seven in the second innings at, at lunch. You know, they were well behind the game there. That, you know, that's when Australia were well ahead. They were well ahead at 240 for four as well. And Marsh out just before tea. And then uh, Ben Stokes talked about this actually in his, his TV interview. Those two wickets. Yeah, you mentioned Labuschagne and Smith out in quick succession to Mo and Ali. They were 68 for one. They had that lead of 26. They were heading on towards a 100 lead with nine wickets in hand. And that was those were the three moments for Australia, I, I think, you know, in the game where they, if they could press him an advantage then, then they probably would have gone on to win the game. There weren't those moments today. I mean, it, was, it felt like England was sort of bit by bit, you know, mostly ahead throughout the day. That Donny Bairstow wicket was a bit different. OK, 80 to win. Perhaps that was where they... Had an opportunity. Here, here's something then. What do, what do Australia do about David Warner at, at the top? Do they persist with him or do they say, thanks but no thanks? I think he's done all right, actually. Obviously, he failed in this test match. Very, two very good deliveries from Stuart Broad. Uh, he, he actually played OK in the, in the second test. Uh, and also, I think he made 40 at Edgebaston, didn't he, in the first inning? So he has made some contributions. It's not quite as bad as his performances in 2019, where he averaged only nine. Uh, at least this time, you know, he's he's got a few scores. And actually, he's also pretty key because he's a first-slip fielder. Uh, and I know, and he's a good first-slip fielder. And I noticed, actually, just a little bit of banter there uh, at first-slip when the game was coming to its climax. So he's one of those who will just give the, the, the English guys a bit of a stare and uh, a bit of a sort of hostile atmosphere, create a bit of a hostile atmosphere. So I think I would I would be sticking with him. I wouldn't be sort of pitching someone else in now uh, with only two tests to go. Mark Wood, well, what a wonderful comeback for him. And uh, I, I thought it's quite interesting, actually, that he was there at the end, of course, in in the run chase Whereas if you contrast his influence in the World Cup final in 2019, he was in, he, he got run out, didn't he, in the final ball of the main match. Uh, and actually watching the, 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 sort of the Stokes innings in that World Cup final, he was sat on the washing machine because no one wanted him in the dressing room because he's so nervous. And uh, he was pacing up and down, and they sort of dispatched him. And in the end, he had to sit in the dressing room attendant's tiny little cubby hole, sat on a washing machine, watching the, the, the denouement of that game until he actually had to go out and bat. 
we didn't see him run out today, did we? Uh, as he did in the World Cup final. You know that he had that uh, view that I've got to run out there because all I'm going to have to do in the World Cup final is run up and down for Stokes. So I'm running out to the middle to get warmed up. And he had all his kit on, didn't he? He had an arm guard, thigh pad, helmet, everything. Um, just, just going to slow him down. But here... You know, he was more clear. He came out this time, rather than being stuck in the dressing room, he came out to effect the potential winning runs. And actually, even though he played a couple of wild swings, he felt, he looked like he knew what he was in, intending to do. He hit the one from Cummins that was sort of leg stump, miles over fine leg for six. And then when Cummins went wider outside off, he left it alone. And then what about that shot off Mitchell Stark when it was obviously clear that they were going to try and bounce him and Stark goes for the Yorker and he drills him through extra cover. A, a bit like, do you remember Matthew Hoggard hitting that four off Brett Lee in that climax to the Trent Bridge test in 2005? You know, just a fantastic shot. He's a good batsman, Mark Wood, actually. You know, he was a batsman originally before he, he turned to fast bowling. So it was just great to see his impact in the game. And uh, I just clipped up a couple of little quotes from him after the game on the field in the post-match interview. I was not good in that dressing room. Uh, I'm sure the lads will tell you. Um, sweaty palms all the way. Um, but it's a lot easier actually when you're out in the middle than when you're sat up there. So um, tough against you know some of the best bowlers in the world. And that's the first time I've actually getting England over the line with a bat. So delighted. You know, I'm happy down at number nine. I think that's still too high. Any higher, I'm definitely getting a nosebleed. So number nine is as high as I'll go. And I felt, you know, coming down the hill, um, you know, you think of Bob Willis and charging down that bank. So I tried to sort of think about that and run as hard as I could that first spell. Stokesy was very clear with my role. Um, both short, sharp spells and, and, and give it everything you've got. And that's what I tried to do. Well, one of the key points, wasn't it, that this, this weekend, compared to last Sunday, England had something in their tail. They didn't really have a great deal in their tail last weekend. It was a, you know, it was a long, thin tail. But, of course, today they had Wokes at eight. They had Mark Wood had to come in. It was a similar situation, actually. They needed around about 70 to win with four wickets left. And, and this weekend it worked. Last weekend, you never thought it was going to work. Really. Well, you, I don't know. You, you, well, when Ben Stokes was there, yeah, you thought that was a, a possibility. But, of course, Stuart Broad was batting at eight last weekend with Ben Stokes. When Stokes got out, that was it, wasn't it, really? But this weekend, yeah, you feel there's, there, was, there was more there. They had more resources with which to win the game. So they still had Stuart Broad and Ollie Robinson uh, to come. So you perhaps felt a bit more confident when they were you know, six down, they were going to go on and win the game. What about... Um, what about in the Old Trafford Test match? Anderson for Robinson, one change, is that it, do you think, for England? I mean, I know it's a nine days away. I, I, I would say that's a logical change. I mean, Robinson's obviously not fit at the moment anyway, and he hasn't had that much impact, although he hasn't bowled badly. He's bowled tidily. Anderson will obviously want to play on his home ground, so that seems very sensible. I mean, I do, I do think it would be lovely to have a proper number three, but maybe they're just going to have to make make do with Moen for the time being, unless well, how, how do they up fit him? In? How do they fit someone different in? That's the problem, yeah. isn't it? No, you're you sure. Get the, you get, it's hard to find the balance of the team. It's been it's been sort of one of their problems throughout the series, in a way. You know, people say, "Well, oh, play Ben Folks, play Ben Folks," but you know, how, how do you configure the team if you play Ben Folks? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point. It, it, it it's one that, uh, that that I'm sure they'll come to a sim- simple solution to, unless there are. Uh, some problems with Mark Wood as well uh, leading into the next test, but he's got nine, ten days to to recover. So uh, what do we feel is the state of play here? Obviously 2-1 now to Australia. 
I sort of feel, and I, I'm sorry to be uh, a party pooper here, but I sort of feel that Australia still will win the series because even though England have created a bit of a momentum shift, you feel like everything had to go their way for them to get over the line here. And I'm sticking to my 3-1 Australia series win. What about you? Well, I, I went 3-2 Australia at the start, and that's still on track as well. Um, for you to be right, you're going to have to have some rain around, aren't you? I can't see these two teams playing out a draw unless there's a huge amount of rain that knocks out a couple of days or something, and probably at the back end of the game as well, because you know England will have to go hard, won't they, to to try to win? And they'll, if they have to do that in any of the games, they'll they'll risk defeat. So, yeah, well, yeah, I still, you know, the, the harsh reality of it is, is that England won here gloriously, didn't they? Heading in 2019, they went to Old Trafford, and Australia's sort of professionalism and ruthlessness. You know, help them to to win the series. They won that match, and you still, I still feel they're the better side. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but England, in English conditions, are not too far away. And we've had three games that they, they could have gone either way. I think the first game England should have won. Second game Australia, you know, deserved to win. Uh, perhaps the the winning margin slightly flattered England away, yeah, helped by that stunning innings from Ben Stokes. This game was a 50-50 game was it both sides had their chances England just had enough to to win the game and it's it's much better for the series I think for everyone watching perhaps even some Australians would admit it as well that it it creates a huge amount of interest in the in the next game keeps the series alive Uh, but they won't be benevolent uh, when when they go to Old Trafford they just want to win wrap up the series and win here for the first time for 22 years so we've got a 10-day break and uh, we'll be doing another podcast uh, during the week looking uh, back actually at the women's ashes. So that's uh, beautifully poised as well. And there is a, a daily ashes report from the women's ashes as well on our sister podcast, Storylines. So that's all beautifully poised. So over the next week, it's, it's over to the women actually, isn't it, for the One Day International series that will decide the women's ashes. And I'd just like to say thank you to our sponsors, IG Trading and investments who are putting so much into the building of these net facilities around the country on the back of this series, uh, giving everybody the chance to practice the skills that we've seen on show over the last three test matches. For more information on the IG Net Gains Fund, check out ig.com slash investments. And we'll be back next week, won't we? We will. I can say we can't wait, but actually I can wait because I think we, everyone needs to put their head in an ice bucket for a bit and just uh, calm down and, uh, yeah, have a bit of a break away from the, the Ashes Circus. And, and actually, Ben Stokes probably needs a, a full body repair as well because we certainly can't have him on the sidelines. Indeed not. Talismanic, isn't he? Yeah, he's England's El Cid. Even if he's injured, they need to push him out there on a horse. <laughs> That'd be a thing. That'd be a thing. Well, we'll leave you with that image. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.